What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> Hello? Oh my gosh. Yours isn't working? Let's go ahead and get the podcast started. I'm Chase Weniger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. Hope everyone is doing well. And today's guest, Marcus Bowling. Glad to be here. And Marcus just told us a second ago that he is, what is it, Marcus? Boating education coordinator, but basically anything with boating safety, boating education is kind of my wheelhouse. And so what just happened was I had turned my volume down too much and it wasn't registering. So I'll just go ahead and apologize to you guys for being a little bit scatterbrained this morning. You can tell I probably am, but it's because I haven't slept in 28 hours. We filmed all night. So I was here yesterday, worked, went home, met Chad at 10 o'clock. We went down to the Green River and met John Bowl at 1 o'clock in the morning. And we left there at 7.15 this morning. And I got here at about 9.15. So running 28 hours straight, full of coffee. Well, no wonder you have the industrial strength uh, <laughs> yeah. a gallon do, of coffee. He's doing better than I would be at 28 well, no, I would hours be like, sleep. Um, I'm going home now. Goodbye. Oh, I feel great. But that's why I know. Like, I feel great right now. But, man, when it crashes, oh, you're right, you're it's, it's coming. Yeah, no <laughs> you know? So I, I called Brooks, uh, you know, supervisor, before we started the podcast, and I said, just so you know, I might not be here later. <laughs> I'm probably going to have to take off at some Chad point. Chad is the man at staying up all night. I've never seen He's the Mac Daddy. He's really good. He crashed when we got to the truck. Mm-hmm. And I I promise you, Chad took 73 10 to 20 second naps on the way home. Like every minute, he would, how long was I out? I'd say, Chad, you were out for 10 seconds max. And then he'd doze back off. And then he'd shake, shake his head and wake up again. And I swear he did that the whole drive home. He just those off and wake up how long was out over and over and over but it was fun you know and i always wanted to learn how to catch those walleye because the walleye seem to be like the one species i just can't catch i just never can consistently get on them so we got to go down there with somebody who actually knows how to catch walleye and what i saw how he was doing and it makes a lot of sense it's not what i thought it would have been at all um but we got a good segment with john ball you know who john mm-hmm. ball is yep. and you know john ball he's an no, anchor no. He's anchor for Wave 3. He does like the 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, and 11 o'clock news broadcast. He also does like Kentucky Derby. Mm-hmm. And you, you might have seen some of his investigative reporting. He He's a guy who goes to like, he'll walk up to a, a drug house and confront the drug dealer about, uh, you know, put a microphone right in their face and ask them about the drugs they're selling at, at the place. So he he's one of my favorite reporters slash anchors in Louisville News, but he's also a big-time fisherman. I was going to say he's a fanatic. Yeah, he's a fanatic. He gets he, off work. At he's a, on a 590 or ESPN Louisville. He's on ESPN, yeah. And he gets off work at 1135 after the 11 o'clock news, gets in his car, drives straight to Green River. I'm saying probably three or four nights a week, or he'll go to Cumberland River, Otter Creek or something, and he'll fish through sunrise and then get in his car and drive home, sleep for four hours, go back to work, and that's like his daily routine. And he, he smacks some walleye. So we, we caught walleye last night. We broke off uh, two muskie um, mm. throwing walleye lures. So it was really cool to see. Um, and I feel kind On of, a fly rod? No, they were spin fishing, um, just throwing little Rapalas and AC shiners. And you know, the thing that struck me, and I really want people to watch the segment, so I don't want to give it all away. But when I go walleye fishing, I'm thinking deep water because I'm used to yeah. sauger fishing. I'm banging bottom, deep water, deep pockets. That's not the case at all. That's just not how you catch them, apparently. And my other problem is probably that I was targeting them in the daytime. And it's basically between when you can see, like, um, legal shooting hours, mm-hmm. you know, half an hour before sunrise, 
that's good fishing. But as soon as that sun hits the horizon, it's like those fish disappear. And I don't know where they go because we were catching them out of one foot deep water last night. Uh, like taking the shallowest runner or poly you could and having to crank it slow because you were banging bottom if you mm. gave it any speed. You just wanted it to wobble across the surface or you were in the rocks. That's how shallow these fish were. And then when the sun came up, you know, you'd think you'd be able to look out there and see these fish in six inches of water, eight inches of water, and they were just nowhere to be found. So they either are really good at hiding or they disappear and go somewhere else when the sun comes well, up. Well, so. I have exceptional night vision, you know. No, I would say so. And that was another issue last night with the shoot. A little behind-the-scenes talk, you know, uh, doing something with somebody who's a TV professional like John Bowl is, I want things to look as good as possible. And the way to make them look the best way, or the ma- way to make them look best is to use the lights, mm-hmm. do full color, shoot in full color, everything like that. And that was a risk, you know, trying to get the best footage I possibly could, lights possibly spooking fish. Spooking the fish, yeah. So at one point during the night, we said, all right, let's kill the lights. Let's try our luck then. And within 15 minutes of the lights being turned off, voila, voila. You mm-hmm. know, so I really think that there's something to the lights, even if you're not directly over the fish, you know, just from a distance, kind of putting them down or spooking them or something like that. So, And you can tell they're made for the night just by the way their eyes glow yeah. when you see them you well, can you can see them come through the water until it's a walleye yeah. well that's that was an issue at uh laurel because it's so clear people are going at night with powerful lights and illegal uh, illegally gigging them oh really gigging yes. a walleye yeah at, at, in the middle of the night when they come up shallow to feed in laurel because it's so clear they just shine a light down and pow they see those eyes and bam makes it easy hmm. i don't like that no but well i we did an investigation, I think, put us... I haven't heard of anybody doing that in a long time, mm-hmm. so... No, I haven't either. So, long story short, that's why I'm scatterbrained. That's why I probably smell really bad. <laughs> and that's why I'm pounding coffee. Well, let me see. I'm, I smell and scatterbrained every day, so... <laughs> yeah, what the hell's wrong with me? Just, <laughs> I'll just fit in then. No, I, I, Lee, if this is how you feel... Because I feel great right now. So, if this is how you feel every day, I don't feel bad for you, but... You know? <laughs> but... Speaking of Green River and Marcus being here, we had a drowning two days ago on Green um, River. Yeah, Taylor County. Yeah, and uh, where are we at right now for the year as far as drownings go? So, so far this year we're at 21, 21? incidences on the water. Um, if there is a good side to that, there hasn't been any boating accident uh, fatalities. It's all just been involved with people being on the water around the water so how does that can you give me like examples of of what's happening or what's called if it's not boating accidents like we're not crashing boats into the shore into each other so so one obvious one's like we start in january with our new year Mm -hmm. so in january people are still duck hunting okay so you you go out there in a boat duck hunting with all your equipment all your gear wearing waders yes Mm -hmm. so so those we have some hunting incidents this year already which can be attributed to the duck hunting. And then the others have just been some simple stuff like wade fishing yeah. uh, and somebody slipping and falling and either, you know, hitting their head or having an issue and, and that way. So just things like that, people swimming, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. That, what about bodies of water? Are we talking about, because I've heard before, farm ponds, you know, people just wading out and swimming in farm ponds. And it, But to me, you know, the the one we had on uh, Green River Lake the other day, I don't know what that was, if, he, if somebody was swimming or – jumping off a boat or tubing or what was going on there so. you, know, you know i mean if you're not right there when it happens you don't really know to extent what happens is yeah. but some of it is definitely fishing they'll be weight fishing mm-hmm. uh swimming's always if they're swimming in the rivers or the creeks mm-hmm. lakes uh, accidents happen especially what about alcohol and 
What about alcohol or drug use? I mean, I know that contributes, right? It's a contributing factor, but like for this year, like none of our uh, incidents this year have been to completion, meaning they haven't had their toxicology reports, haven't. Oh, I see. So at this time, you, we can't, you can't speculate because we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, all that stuff takes time yeah. uh, to come back in. But, yes, alcohol, drugs, some of that always plays a factor in some things. Riding in unsafe positions probably, mm-hmm. yeah. The reason I, I ask about the alcohol is because I was thinking about this heat. And, you know, it seems to me like the most likely way for someone to drown while swimming is probably cramping up. Or something like that, where they just, you know, all of a sudden you can't, just can't use your left arm or your right leg as a Charlie horse, you can't kick yeah, anymore. Yeah, you get dehydrated. I mean, yeah, as hot as know. it is today, I mean, there's, to add alcohol into that yeah. oh. would just be tremendous. And that's exactly what I was thinking, is that if you take a super hot day like we are experiencing this week and we're going to have next week, mm-hmm. and then you mix alcohol, which dehydrates you anyway, yeah. it's oh. like you're asking for a cramp. Yeah. So. Well, you know, a concept we talk about is boaters fatigue as well, because you you don't have to have alcohol, and if you're out in this heat and you're on the water, the boat is moving, it can induce almost a trance-like state. And then if you pour alcohol on top of that, you really have a slowed reaction. Is there time. a word for that? Like, like, we just always called it boater's fatigue. It's, boater's it's fatigue. Stre- stressors. I mean, we, when I teach, we talk about it. I'm like, one drink in a boat is like having three drinks on land because bouncing around the waves, the heat, the no- engine noise, all those factors fatigue you and you don't even realize it, and you add alcohol on top of it, and it's just intensified. Um, and then when I'm talking to people, I'm like, how many of y'all been on a boat for like all day and come home and feel like you've just been run over by a truck? Yeah. Or, or still feel it when you're sleeping. Yeah. So, you know, and you'll be like, I'm moving into bed. Yeah. You know? Not just on a boat, but even a kayak. Yeah. You know, a, ki- yes. a kayak, sometimes I get off the water and for having not ran or really stepped, you know, more than 50 yards all day, mm-hmm. I'm just beat. Yeah. You know, and it, that's even with hydrating and pounding a lot of water, just being in the sun and being on the water all day just takes it out of you. And people don't wear their PFD when they're kayaking because it's hot. Well, and Chase and I have talked about this before, just the, the people don't, and it's shallow. They can see the bottom, well, I don't need my life jacket, but moving water exerts such force on the body. If you get in a compromising situation, you don't have time to grab your life jacket and put it on when you're going down a rapid and you go over. Yeah. Well, water weighs what, nine pounds yeah. per per square foot and or gallon? And or then if like that's that. pushing against you, it's it's bad. So you well, can, go ahead. You know, I was just going to say with kayaking or canoeing or any of the paddle sports, after the pandemic, you know, everybody's gone and mm-hmm. gone out and bought something and they and they don't look at it as something that could be dangerous. But I would almost as soon you go try a kayak and at a small lake where everything's calm mm-hmm. and peaceful the first time as far as instead of going to the river or the creek where there's current and you got all these factors in there that could could affect and, you. And if you stay close, I, I did I did a little column on kayaking and you know it's boating, it's kayaking time. But also talked about the safety aspect is go near a ramp. And don't get very far out where you can see the bottom and then get comfortable with secondary stability. A lot of people don't realize this boat's tippy. Well, it's supposed to be somewhat tippy. If it's too rigid, you'll flip as soon as you hit something rough. It has to have some rocker. It has to have some secondary stability. So just lean side to side and get over the fear that the boat's going to go over when you're employing its secondary stability. And I don't know if it was me and you talking the other day or not, but like I'm starting to see on the big water, like uh, Mm -hmm. Cumberland and some of these places, kayakers being out in the channel. Yeah, there's no, and uh, it's just so. I mean, because a boat coming at forty miles an hour, forty miles an hour, is going to be on top of you before you can know it. And you, as a kayak, you're not going to be able to get out of the way quick and in a hurry. No, and then wakes are more difficult to deal with. And I'd rather do a class two, class three rapid. 
than a big boat wake because yeah. it's you just don't know what's going to happen. I'll tell you, my, my kayak is about as obvious as it gets, 14 feet long and bright yellow. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe if sometimes on the lakes how close boats will get to me before they'll see me. And, I mean, it's basically the size of a boat at mm-hmm. 14 feet and standing a foot out of the water and being bright yellow, and it's still – kind of crazy so on lakes lakes have always made me nervous mm-hmm. on the kayaks a lot of people have a safety flag they'll put on there. safety a flag's idea. a good idea yeah we were out on linville last week um hybrid fishing with a guy from kayaks and he had a big nice safety flag which was good and then we also went frog gigging from kayaks last week that's cool on uh beaver lake and another thing to remember is that at night i i literally had to make a trip to walmart that day because it just clicked in my mind I gotta have those lights. Mm-hmm. So we we went and bought. They actually sell them at Walmart for like thirty two dollars. Um, oh, the clip ons with the battery double A battery power. Yep. Yeah, and they work just fine. And they're they're single LEDs. They keep you legal. They do light you up at night. You got a white pole in the back and a red green up front, so you're perfectly legal. And that's what you need if you're gonna kayak at night on anybody water, even if it's not a lake or something like that. But that's something to remember too. Just, you know, you're talking about safety flags. Mm -hmm. But a second ago, you were talking about the force of moving water. And like, for instance, I was fishing green last week and I had a choice to make, going around this island or go right or left. And I picked right. Um, And that was a fine decision because we made it through just fine. But there was a spot in there where there was down trees, down trees, and you had a spot about five feet wide you could shoot through. And the water was pushing you into a down tree, and you had to paddle left out mm-hmm. of the current to be able to fit through that spot. You know, where that water is pushing into that down tree, you know, even though you were just on a pool of water um, 50 yards back, that you could see the bottom, it was crystal clear, and there was no obvious danger. 50 yards ahead of that, you've got probably 200 cubic foot of water a second pushing mm-hmm. into a tree and water weighing nine pounds per cubic foot. You're going into the tree if you don't make yeah, evasive action early. you're talking about 1,800 pounds of force mm-hmm. pushing into that tree, you know, per second, if you just weight of the water. Obviously, that much water is not all going to be pushing on your body, but let's just say it's 200 pounds of force. That's more than a lot of grown people are able to overcome underwater, you know. So, especially when you start panicking and swallowing water and doing all that good stuff. So That's a good thing when you're paddling is look ahead and try to anticipate and that a lot of that comes with practice but um so many people buy these the the kayaks have got a lot cheaper some you know you can go to walmart and get one now and they put on they don't understand um any of the basics you know check the flow rate they'll put on at floodwaters because they don't know any better and then they get in trouble yeah learning those how to read the gauges just usgs and google whichever (laughs) creek you're wanting to go to or getting on the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers website and looking at the tailwater discharge of a lake. So many people who are avid fishermen and kayakers don't even know those resources that are out there or how to use them. You know, and that would probably help out with uh, um, not boating safety, but kayak safety a little bit. Just, But it's so hard to educate people on how to use resources like that because how many times have we given out, you know, just type in USGS and Elkhorn Creek and it pops up the flow right there and still people don't know or you know we've given out the mcalpin number to look at the Mm -hmm. dam release down there mcalpin and you know it's just it's tough because they're all scattered you know you got usgs doing some you got u.s army corps of engineers louisville district doing some you got the tba doing some Mm -hmm. all these different um authorities in the state of kentucky are monitoring the the water discharges and but that's a really important part of kayaking you're right well go to the spring fishing frenzy page on the website and there's one that i wrote about how to Plan a web or plan a float trip correctly and safely. So you said 21 so far this year. 
how is that as far as pace goes for an average year? Not the twenty one's bad, no matter yeah, what. I mean, one's bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's kind of for the last two or three years. That's about we're on par with what we do in a year. So it, I know that we had an uptick during the COVID year. COVID, we had an uptick. We were around 50, 51 for so, the last two, three years. So we're still in that uptick from yes. COVID. Yeah. So everybody went out and bought their kayaks, and they're still using them. And, yeah. 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 Um, that makes perfect sense. It's unfortunate, but I, I did see, I was reading um, this uh, Facebook post here that I pulled out from the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife. It's on their page, so I'm assuming these stats are accurate. Mm-hmm. And it says that 86% of drowning victims were not wearing a life jacket. Yep. 70% of deaths occurred on boats where the operator did not receive boat boater safety instructions. Alcohol is alcohol use is the number one contributing factor in boating fatalities, and 8 out of 10 boaters um, who drowned were using vessels less than 21 feet in length. Yep. You don't really have a whole lot of control over that last one, you know, because most boaters are buying what they can afford or what suits their needs. But the alcohol and the PFDs, are the easy ones. The, the PFDs, I mean, your life jacket, I always tell people, you know, what do you do in the first thing you do when you get in the car? Yeah. You click it. I do. And, like, do you ever remember clicking it? And nine times out of ten, you don't. And that's how life jackets need to be. You need to get in a habit of when the boat's moving, that's on. Oh, man, yep. it'd be great if there that's was a way on. to make a really annoying beeping noise no. every time you didn't have your life jacket on the boat was running no, but that 86 <laughs> percent that you saw on there yeah that has the coast guard's been keeping statistics on for all the states on uh incidents and drownings and stuff and for over my whole career which is 23 years now that stat's never changed yeah which basically means 10 people go to the water and they have a bad day eight of them have life jackets or, or a little bit more and they yeah. just don't even ha- and they don't have them on yeah. So um, really try to push the importance of wearing your life jacket. All the time is the ideal thing, but at least when the boat's underway. Yeah, mm-hmm. The thing is, in order to be legal on the water, you have to have one on you. If you're on a kayak, you have to have a, mm-hmm. a PFD. Readily accessible. If you're on a boat, you have to have PFD for everybody on the boat. And the other important thing, Marcus, is uh, about inflatables. As the far auto as, inflates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As far as, yeah, like, I mean, a they're, child. They're a lot cooler. They are a lot cooler, but a lot of times people don't realize it, but you have to be at least 16 years old to wear one. Do uh, those count, though, if they're not being worn? No. Nope. Well, no. it's, fit, it's <laughs> We've been through this. You have to me. read the label. Like each Every life jacket, I don't care what life jacket you pick up at the store or anywhere, has a label on it. Yeah. You need to read the label. So the auto inflates label, most of the manufacturers say that you have to have it on for it to be legal. I think there are a few out there that say you don't, mm-hmm. but you might as well just put in your mind that you have to have it on to count yeah. because they auto-inflate. They don't go off immediately, um, so they're going to do you no good if you're not actually wearing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had one one time not go off. I've told that story to you before, Lee. Mm-hmm. About, yeah. I mean, I didn't want it to go off. It actually worked out in my favor because I you know, I had an inflatable life jacket on, and I was fishing with this 12-year-old boy, and he – I had a catfish on that was so big he couldn't reel it in on the current, two feet deep water. So I just went out there to get it, ended up getting up to my neck in the water. Life jacket didn't go off. A little bit concerning, but at the same time, it worked out well because I didn't want it to go off. You know, it would have been. But it's a water and it's a pressure thing, too. So you probably aren't deep enough to put pressure on it to trigger it. Yeah, I don't like the fact that, yeah, it just makes me nervous. I like, I like my, uh, NRX, you know, my yeah. nice inflated, my nice standard life jacket. I like my, I've got my, 
Stoquist Pisces. I like it well. It's a little hot, but I'll put up with it. You know, That's, I don't worry. I like if I'm doing it personally, I wear the regular ones instead yeah. of the auto. Yeah. Well, I really like the like. I mean, you might have to spend a little bit more money. Like you can go to Walmart and get a life jacket for twenty five, thirty mm-hmm. bucks probably. But if you spend a little bit more money and get one of the nicer ones, like NRX is just a brand that pops into my mind. They're built cooler. Um, you know, with breathable areas, and mm-hmm. it seems like yeah, the, they're nice. They're nice jackets. But I like them because they have um, pouches on the front, and they have like a spot for my pliers, and they're almost like a fishing vest built in. That's what mine is. It's yeah. got a little table I can fold out and tie stuff and everything. Yeah, and it's got a little bungee where I can put my pliers and everything, so if yeah. I fall, it won't fall yeah. out. And, and I just take a. I have a little. Um, phone like a waterproof phone bag yep. and i have it tied off with a piece of paracord and it stays in my pouch there so my phone's always on me nice and waterproof so i actually like my life jacket almost like it's a fishing tool yes. um and so if you're willing to spend just a little bit more money than the cheapest pfd you can possibly buy you can get one that actually you know is kind of a benefit to you um not just in saving your life but maybe making fishing more convenient or something like that too it's really nice to have your pliers right on your chest it is you know and i keep a knife on mine too just in case i've never really needed the knife but you know a lot of the white water kayaking guys they they, uh, they carry one yeah. and i always thought it looked cool so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know so i like having that knife right there in case i ever need it you know and if you're the i really started carrying the knife on my life jacket when i was fishing um, in the ocean out of the kayak and I was using a hundred pound braid. Mm-hmm. So I was like, if that stuff gets wrapped around me, mm-hmm. you know, I do not want to, yeah. to have to chew through that with my teeth. Yeah. Okay. You know, I'd prefer to have something sharp nearby and it's just, you know, good safety protocol. If you're using eight pound mono, I don't think the line's ever going to cut through your wrist or cut your arm off or something. Mm-hmm. But if you are fishing, you know, for catfish or musky or sturgeon or something where you're fishing some heavy braid, that stuff can just tear Rip through. You up. Yeah. And you, you know, Having a life jacket that has tools readily available on the front and a phone on the front, you know, you can take it out and take pictures. I just, it's a good idea all around. I'm not trying to sell life jackets here, but honestly, we wouldn't mind, would we? They've done, they've nope. done a good job with making them user friendly and comfortable. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's what they should do. And because, uh, I mean, life jackets save lives, but also those life jacket companies are trying to sell life jackets to make money. So mm-hmm. they should, you know, fit them to the consumer and give the consumer what they want and help everybody. But, um, Speaking of life jackets, life jacket loaner stations. Mm-hmm. Are you up to speed on that, Marcus? Yes. So this yeah, is like, like the second. Seven. I just wrote something on it. Yeah. The, this, this is the second year uh, that we've had it going on. Um, we've got seven in the ground, but it's a wonderful program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's made for paddle sports. It's what it's designed for. But power boats, anybody can use it. So if you go to a body water where there's a life jacket loaner station, and if your life jacket is it's broke, tore up, or you don't have one, you can borrow one, use it for the day, and when you get done, put it back on the station for the next person coming in. And those are donated, I believe. Like partnerships, sponsors. like we work partnerships. So, like, we partner with individuals, businesses, organizations, anybody that's interested, and they share some of the cost, and then they kind of help watch over the station. And Fish and Wildlife, we keep the life jackets at the station if they need one replaced yeah. or whatever, and we do the signage. So it's a partnership. That's very good. So a nice partnership with businesses or mm-hmm. the community to try to make these places safer. Can you tell me where all seven of them are? Yes. So we the original one was at Beaver Lake in Anderson County. And okay. you, if you were frog gigging out there, you saw it. I didn't film that, but I, yeah. Um, the uh, We have one at Cedar Creek. Girl Scout Troop in Lexington just did one at Cedar Creek and did a fana- f- fantastic job. That's on job. the 150 ramp, middle yes, ramp, right? Yes, the middle ramp. It's on the middle ramp. But they went above and beyond and did landscaping and planted flowers. So it, <laughs> it's, it's like off the chart, great. Okay. I told them, I said, you're the first group to ever do that. 
we have two in Bowling Green on Drake's Creek at mm-hmm. Fillmore Park and Romanza Park. Okay. So you can actually float in between the two, and, and mm-hmm. the park people will run the jackets back and that's forth. Nice. Yes. That's nice. For a moving water float, that's something to think about because yeah. it's not always going to be easy to get right. it back. And to I've them. done that float on the TV show, and yes. uh, it's beautiful. Yes, really. it is. And, and the shuttle and everything's easy. That's a very, very user-friendly So float. we've got Beaver, Cedar. Cedar, two in a Bowling Green. Two in Bowling Green. Mill Creek Park, which is a, a decent-sized lake in Monroe County. Yeah, okay. There's one there. And we, we partnered with a uh, young lady who lost her stepfather in a kayak accident. Um, so she's doing it. Several of them are doing it that way to make something positive out of a tragic tragic mm-hmm. incident. Um, and the, the White Mills Civic League. White Mills on the uh, Nolan, Nolan River. River. Yeah. What about Lake Reba? Yeah, that's the newest one. Lake, Lake Reba is the one that just got done last friday i thought uh, that, that popped in my mind i couldn't remember if it was a new kayak launch that was installed both later. they did both. that they did that too yes Man, and the know, live jack launch station's right there by the kayak launch no i used to live in richmond and when i lived in richmond they didn't have anything like a kayak launch at lake reba no they didn't i had to go down there and fight the geese at the boat ramp God, and I, I fished there. i'd fish there a lot man there's some good bass in there I used yeah. to night fish it all the they time. They have when we was down there. They didn't realize if they have bass tournaments down there. They still, oh, when I was there, they did. So I don't want to get too far off the life jacket station, but I do want to circle back to being in Richmond and fishing because there's something that I'm just you know really thinking I missed out on when I lived there. But if so, you you mentioned the Girl Scouts, right? Building the life jacket loaner station, and they went above and beyond with the landscaping, right? Right. Say so we have somebody listening to the podcast who's a, a Boy Scout troop leader or a Girl Scout troop leader. And they want to get involved. Scoutmaster. Yeah. It, I, Friend of mine is. It's easy. <laughs> just like we start, if you start your outdoor adventure, you start it with fw.ky.gov, uh-huh. which is our website. You go to our website, go to boating, and in the middle of the page towards the bottom is a whole section for loaner stations. Okay. And if you click on that, it lays out the whole program for you. And I believe if I, Nick Ray, who's a phenomenal, great, great employee. I love Nick. And I, me and him used to play basketball together at EKU, actually. We were there at the same time. He told me that. Yeah. Did he tell you I beat him pretty good? <laughs> no. Well, he, he should have. No, Nick, he was probably more mobile than me, but I was much bigger. So we played different positions. But um, Nick did a video, if I'm not mistaken, about how to build step-by-step. Because he's in the, um, the engineering division here. Mm-hmm. And so he did a step-by-step video, and I think that's probably available on our website. Or on it YouTube. is. It's on the – if you go to the Loner Station page, it's – and Nick, I can't speak highly enough yeah. of him in engineering because mm-hmm. they take you from the very beginning to the first cut to putting it in the ground. And, I mean, it's it's just a wonderful video. So, really so even if you have no experience, you can watch the do-it-yourself video and, and piece it together. Yeah. So, basically, if somebody wants to get involved, they can just go to the website – Go to the boating page. You said about halfway down, Life Jacket Loaner Stations. They could probably use the search bar, too. Can. Search Life Jacket Loaner Stations, and there's going to be contact info. And if somebody has a troop, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, just an organization, or they're an individual and they think this is a good idea, mm-hmm. say there's a lake near them. Like somebody in Shelby County, for instance, they have uh, Lake Shelby, Guest Creek. You know, you could sponsor a Life Jacket Loaner Station at one of those lakes or, you know, any other lake, Will Green. You know, I could rattle off. Kentucky has more man-made lakes than any state yeah. in the country, so there's a lot of lakes that could potentially have life jacket. And the only thing we so. kind of want to do is is kind of focus on paddle sports. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your kayakers, canoers, those kind of people uh, is the ones that we're focusing with the life jacket loaner station. Yeah, if you're, I could see somebody in a kayak or a canoe being more likely to show up without one, just mm-hmm. on accident, because typically if you have the investment in a boat. 
you know, you either, you either have financial investment or time investment in that where you're going to have it outfitted with what you need. Right. Well, a kayak is much easier to get into. You just go to Walmart and pick one up for 200 not bucks. Even, might not even think about picking yeah. up a life jacket to go with it. And then mm-hmm. you end up at the lake with your kayak and your paddle and nothing to go with it, so therefore you got a yeah. life jacket on our station. So it makes perfect sense. Yeah, paddle sports <laughs> has increased so much that we're trying to get ahead of it and try to be proactive mm-hmm. in, in safety and trying to help them you know, be as safe as they can be on the water. It might be increasing more these next two weeks with this heat. There isn't yeah. much. There isn't much else that I want to do outside other than be on or in the water. I was yeah, going to say, I, I vote for put a life jacket on and get in the water. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Go for a swim. And, and one of the things that people don't realize, if you have an old life jacket that's torn up and has ripped parts, it's no good right. in the eyes of the law. Correct. Right. right. I mean, it has to be functional. I mean, if if the zipper's broke or the buckles are no good, or it's ripped up because you know what the sun does to them. Mm-hmm. It absolutely eats the material. Yeah. Uh, no, it doesn't count. It does not count. And readily accessible, you mentioned that earlier, and I, I say it's a big word like refrigerator, mm-hmm. but that is very important as well. I mean, I don't know how many times we'll stop somebody and we'll say, hey, can we see your life jackets? And they disappear, and you see their feet, and there's anchor rope and <laughs> oars yeah. and everything coming out of the cubby hole to get the life jacket. That's no good yeah. because that's not easily accessible to get yeah, your You won't have time for that if your boat flips. No, yeah. that's exactly yeah. right. Honestly, readily accessible is fairly forgiving. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I mean, it it could be required to be on. You know, readily accessible is kind of yeah. forgiving in itself, so might as well have it. You yeah, know? and it's like when I'm talking to people, you know, I'm talking about let's get in the habit of, of buckle it or zip it, however you want to term it. Yeah. But when you do that, and if you do it while the boat's underway, when you take it off, when you're stopped or you're fishing or you're whatever, guess what? where your life jacket's going to be? Yeah. It's going to be wherever you're at. So that makes readily accessible easy that way. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. you you know, wherever you are, it's going to be laying there right beside of you. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. So I said a second ago that before we got too far from Richmond, so when I was at EKU, I fished Lake Reba. I fished Will Green a few times. I fished Silver Creek, Otter Creek, Pantlet Creek, you know, Kentucky River, mm-hmm. all the stuff that was right there in Madison County and I could get to easily. Never ventured down to Linville. Yeah, well, I fished it all the time. That was there. a huge mistake on my part. Yeah. No, because Linville. If and it some, has a mean mouth. has hybrids, spoonbill, mean mouth, yellow perch. That's what I want to ask you about because I didn't realize there was hybrids in Limble. Yes. Yeah. This I, I don't want to misspeak about the stocking, but the way I, I understood it is the city owned that lake and the city stocked it with some fish. But I know that we are putting the hybrids in it because the – and we're probably putting a lot of the fish in it. But I'd say the, the yellow perch was Johnny Appleseed, though, wouldn't you? I don't know. The mean mouth. I mean, I guess mean mouth could occur naturally, but that mean well, mouth. Well, they did. That they believe that they they did occur naturally there. I lost a bet over that. For what mean people who might not know, mean mouth are a hybrid between oh. a large mouth and a small mouth, correct? Well, or a spotted and those spotted and small mouth, I think, interbreed as well. But it's just it's a hybrid of some of those two black a small mouth and one of the other black bass species. Yes. But Linville is literally 15 miles south of Richmond, probably. You can see it from I 75. Yeah, it's literally, it's it's like I-75 is the Makes dam. Makes the dam. <laughs> yeah. So if you're heading south from Richmond, you go past Berea, you'll notice in the area of 75 where they're always doing construction. Always. Always. There's a lake right there on your right. That's Lake Linville. And you get off that Renfro Valley exit, and there's, you know, a boat ramp there that might have like a 2 to $5 user fee to launch a boat. or It's a perfect lake for kayaking. Oh, it is. Because it's a small lake, and I don't think that anybody's gonna be out there jet skiing or water or you know water skiing or wakeboarding or anything like that it's just like it's set up for 
for fishing with some really cool species that's really close to Berea College, really close to EKU. And I just don't think enough people who like to fish that go to those schools know it's there and take advantage of it. You know, a lot of people probably drive right past it and go two hours to Laurel or Cumberland or something like mm-hmm. that. But I think Linville is an underutilized lake that's probably worth exploring. Mm-hmm. It is. And the hybrids. I mean, it's hard to beat the hybrids. Well, you parked my interest when you said that. Yeah. So. Hybrids, in my opinion, Marcus, are the pound for pound, my favorite yeah. fighting fish. And everybody talks about, well, if a bluegill weighed 10 pounds, you'd never be able to land it. You know, you ever hear people say that? Yeah, but I think uh, a hybrid would pull a bluegill down the lake. Well, don't you think? A bluegill doesn't weigh 10 pounds. Yeah, I know, but if, I if it did, I still <laughs> think the hybrid does, I'd like to see it. Yeah, yeah our, we had a big bluegill caught here in Kentucky that weighed 5 pounds. That's a state record yeah. or something like that. But I'd say five the state record bluegill versus a five pound hybrid. I think the hybrid would crush it. I think so too. Hybrids just have a mean personality. They're like Mike Tyson. You know that's how, that's how they fight. That's what it reminds me of. Just full bore, the whole way. You know, and uh, they even fight you when you get them on the land. That's mm-hmm. what kills me about them. And some fish, I I might have told you this on the last podcast, Lee. I can't remember. I remember I've been up for twenty nine hours now. Um, some fish, you know, you catch them, and they. I mean, you hold them in your hand, it's fine. You let them go. Hybrids and musky, to me, are different. When you when you get them in your hand, their eyes are watching you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like their eyes are moving and they're they're watching you, and, and it's like they're looking for an opportunity to get the you wiggle, still. Yeah. And a hybrid, it knows, like, when your hand's in the right spot, it'll throw that gill plate around, or it'll mm-hmm. throw those spines. Stripers do that a little bit, too. It's just like a different personality, like a meaner personality. And I swear the musky I caught, I don't know how long ago. The first one I caught this year, when I had my hand down there by its mouth and I had my pliers and I was going to pop that spinnerbait out, I swear it took a swipe at my hand completely out of the water, you know, just trying to take a bite at it. And it just, I think that those species of fish that are kind of like apex predator driven are just meaner. And bluegill's always going to be fish. I've often thought that the fact that stripers are an ocean fish and the hybrids are half striper puts that meanness in them because ocean fish are meaner than freshwater but fish, you in agree, my opinion. you agree that hybrids are yes. a mean fish. And yeah, I think they markers. pull for pound for pound. I think they pull harder than a striper because they have that girth from the white bass. You know? Yeah, they're tall. They're just a stocky fish. They're fine. I would love to go. I did. I went down to the falls last week and caught a couple hybrids, but nothing to write I've heard about, it's not so. been super good yet. Uh, I've seen some good fish caught. I have not personally caught them. I've only been down there twice so far this year. Well, I finally had one good thing. Everybody's like, oh, the Elkhorn's fishing great. And every time I went, I got skunked. I was like, <laughs> so I built it. That's part of the inspiration for building the beaver stick <laughs> was to get the bad juju off. When you say the beaver stick, the, uh, the listeners might not know what you got here. But I might have given you that You on gave the this to me, yes. Was it on the podcast? Again? No, well, we just we had just uh, recorded one, and it was in the corner here. Yeah. And some of the... The people who've been around a long time said that beaver stick's been back here for a long, long time. Yeah, and um, I looked up and was like, "Wow, that would make a great waiting staff." Yeah, and Chase was kind enough; he just handed it. Yeah. Well, it, it was like a six and a half or seven foot long, perfectly straight. St- people don't know what a beaver chew is. I mean, that was a branch off of you think a sycamore tree, yes. right? And essentially, those beavers, they don't want the wood. They want the thin little membrane between the bark, bark and... Bark and the wood, yep. Yeah, so they'd peel all that bark off with their teeth, and they eat that membrane, and it leaves a really cool pattern of teeth marks and little bits and pieces of membrane. And it, it's a cool-looking stick, and it's unique because, you know, there's it's like a fingerprint. There's mm-hmm. no other beaver stick like that. No doubt. 
Yeah. So, and you, you cut it and made it look really good. Yes. And, and since I've built it, I've, I've had great fishing luck. So, and it's your new so it goes staff. with you every time you go. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. New, new wading staff there, which is important. And that's another thing, you know, I'm, I've turned double five Monday. So you've been up 29 hours. I'm just getting old and worthless. <laughs> 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 I'm double nickel Monday. Double five. So, um, but as, as you get, when, when the, the number is four and past of your age, a waiting staff comes in very handy. And it's good for anybody. I used to not because I thought, well, that's what old guys do. I'm not using a waiting staff. Uh-huh. But you can test how deep the water is. It's a third leg and it'll save you injury. Um, you know, and snakes, a dog, whatever, you've got it's something got, to fit. It's got all kinds of things. And you can check. And another thing I love to do, spider webs. You know, instead of walking and having it on your face, just take the waiting staff. Yeah, that but, would come in handy down at the falls for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. And just so people know, it's not like you're carrying a stick with you all the time. You have a, a piece of, not paracord, a little thicker, probably mm-hmm. a half inch yeah. um, nylon rope um, tied to it, about a two-foot section probably, and you have a carabiner attached to it. I click that on the So you the, click that to your, your vest or your something. Belt or whatever, yeah. And that way you got both hands free. And, that thing's and just, it flows out behind you. Yeah, just flowing That's out. That's the thing. And I used to use those collapsible staffs, you know, that, mm-hmm. that people use for hiking. They're fine for hiking, but once you get them wet a couple of times, they'll freeze up or they won't come under. They're a pain. Wood's better because it floats and it's natural. Too, yeah. But yeah, it looks really nice. Yeah, it, that, that, I'm thrilled with it. At the fall, sometimes you'll be fishing down there, and there's so much current going different directions. You know, I can only halfway blame people for this, but people will cast out there, and they're running. They're trying to catch big catfish in current, so they're running like 80 pound or 100 pound braid. That current will carry their line right across you. And next thing I know, I got 100 pound braid of fishing line going Ooh. across my legs, and some guy's up there reeling like crazy because he thinks he's got a fish on the other end. I'd, having one of those sticks would be the safe way to push that line out there off you because Mm -hmm. i found myself before reaching down and grabbing it and just holding it out away from my body until that hook's coming and then i'll just toss it you know i would not not good no no. but you know what it's that would be the solution because there's not much else you can do down in a place like that and you know for hiking and stuff you can use it as well for all kinds of things (laughs) when i fished the falls last week there was a guy down there i'm assuming it was his first time might have been a second time because he knew the rocks were slick um and he prepared for the slippery rocks by wearing soccer cleats, which was <laughs> which are worthless. Oh, you're lying. Which was, <laughs> yeah, I think that he he probably went once and he slipped and slid all over the place. So he thought, I got to have better traction. I'll wear my cleats next time. Hmm. And a hard rubber. Did he know, make it okay? Luckily, he didn't try to go too far. But he, are you familiar with the, the layout of the falls? Not at all? the layout of it. No. Well, essentially, up at the very top by the upper dam, there's a section of water that comes out over a waterfall. And that kind of cascades through a 20-yard wide riffle that's probably two or three inches deep. But that rock that's in that section is covered in a really slick moss. And surface area is the key. And cleats don't have surface area. So as soon as he stepped on there, he slipped and he went feet up in the air. And I watched him slide down that riffle for about 20 yards. Luckily, it's only two inches, three inches deep. But Mm -hmm. Not good on the back. No, no. Tough. well, tough. that's when felt, you know, felt is right now there's whirling disease and felt. So if you do use felt, you need to set it out for a while. But man, felt on that grips like Velcro. It's the best. Felt is by far the best. A lot of times I find myself using old tennis shoes. Tennis shoes. Like I basically have. Some people glue cheap, cheap old that's outdoor That's what I've always done is just use an old pair of tennis shoes. Yeah. It's out. Basically, my tennis shoes go from, I buy one pair a year, and I probably said this on, sometimes I have a hard time remembering what I've said. I buy one pair a year, 
They're my everyday slash running shoes, workout shoes. The next year when I get my new pair, that pair becomes my yard work sh- mm-hmm. shoes. Yep, mowing shoes. And then one year later, after you know the next pair becomes my yard work shoes, those become my creek shoes and yep. my river shoes. Yep. And it actually kind of works out well because by that point, three years, the soles of them are actually worn down quite a bit. So it's almost like it's softer mm-hmm. and it has more surface area because I don't have all that tread cut into it. And it turns out it works better on slippery rocks than having like a brand new pair of shoes. Because mm-hmm. that surface area is what I think you really want on yes. those mossy rocks. So. And then there's been people, again, if you find some old outdoor carpet or like boating carpet or, and you can use shoe goo, you know that stuff, mm-hmm. shoe goo makes a good, or aqua seal and just glue them on the bottom, then you have basically felt wading shoes. Yeah, felt felt a, makes a huge Oh my difference. God, it's amazing. But that guy who wore cleats out there, I, I, I didn't know he had cleats on until I saw his feet go flying up in the air, and then I was like, man. <laughs> well, was, the other day, I, I, I won't be long, uh, I was working on a story. I'm gonna, I went around to the stocking truck, went and saw how they pick up the fish, and we went and stocked catfish, and I'm going to write a piece about it. Well, they had lowered the, the rearing pond out there to facilitate getting the catfish in the seine and all that. And, you know, I, it looked dry, but that liner they have on there, I wanted to get a better angle for my picture. Well, I stepped on it. Have you ever stepped on black ice and you're like, I'm going to fall. It's just a matter of when and how hard. Yeah. Well, that's what happened to me. I haven't been there in not even five minutes. <laughs> and here I am, whoosh, legs up near, busted my butt, sliding down the mud, holding a brand new uh, lens that Nathan Sankster ordered. I wasn't supposed to take. That cost a lot, a lot of money. So... <laughs> So I got my shoes wet, both my feet camera, wet, camera but I had good. a mud butt on both both sides and almost ruined a brand new uh, lens. Oh, thanks for been mad. Yeah, he, he, I, well, the next day I was kidding. He was like, everything was cool because Dave said, don't tell anything to Nathan. So I was like, hey, Nathan, I fell and busted my butt about ruining your expensive new lens you haven't even used yet. <laughs> <laughs> Just get it out there. You uh, know? Almost only counts on horseshoes and hand grenades. No doubt, but thank God. Yeah. So. If I'd have felt on, though, I wouldn't have fallen. <laughs> Next time you go to the hatchery, yeah, just I'm wearing, wearing, felt. wearing, your, felt. wearing your felt shoes. No, it is amazing how much of a difference felt makes, for sure. I had a great pair of corkers, loved them, wore out, haven't replaced them. Shit. Was that the kind where you can take the felt off and put rubber and felt on? Yeah, those yeah. are great. Oh. Yeah. Um, Marcus, when I talked to Brooks on the phone before we came in here and started this, I told him we were doing this podcast. He said, make sure you talk about Operation Drywater. Yes. And I said, Brooks, I don't know what that is. So hopefully Marcus mm-hmm. can fill me in. So what is Operation Drywater? So Operation Drywater is across the nation on the July 4th weekend. Mm-hmm. All law enforcement agencies that work the water come together to put a focus on impaired boating. Okay. Uh, to make an effort to, to, to enforce impaired boating on the water. And keep statistics on that but it's just it's just like a nationwide come together uh for that for enforcement so this is probably a bad analogy is there increased enforcement uh, on july 4th weekend you would think there would be anyway mm-hmm. because people are using the water more uh, there is to an extent but i mean all of us in fish and wildlife are on the water anyway yeah uh but it's that weekend is just kind of a special weekend to deem hey we're making the public aware about the dangers of impaired boating we're enforcing impaired boating where that's we're looking harder not to say that we don't look at it all the time but yeah. we're it's just to to make the public aware basically of what's going on and and the hazards of impaired boating that makes perfect sense that's some mm-hmm. of the same stuff we just talked about with the 86 percent 
Oh, that was Life Jackets. But the one about alcohol, what was that? It's in the top three. It's yeah. alcohol, inattention. It's almost the same thing as driving. It just yeah. correlates straight over to boating. Inattention, looking at your phone or looking at your graph on your boat can cause accidents, not paying attention. Mm-hmm. But that and alcohol are, are the top three. So as far as, you know, everybody knows in Kentucky the laws with driving. I mean, .08 if you're over the age of 21. I think it's .02. If you're under the age of twenty one, under the age of twenty one, it's supposed to, it's like a zero tolerance, but there is like you know you could potentially have alcohol from drinking kombucha or right. mouthwash. And so, it's same; it transfers over to the water. Just so same. it's exact same for the exact water. Exact same, and when you're driving a boat, you give implied consent to be tested uh, for impairment because you're on public waterways. Or how's that work? Yes, yeah, because you're you're behind the boat and you're driving the boat. So it's implied consent that and you can be checked. It's illegal to have an open container of alcohol in yep. public. So in public, you know, in, in, in the state of Kentucky, in public, it's illegal to drink in public unless you're at an establishment like a bar or a restaurant that serves <laughs> alcohol or either in your home. And a houseboat's considered your domicile. Okay. So, But if you're out on a boat, yes, it's drinking. You know, you're not allowed to be drinking in public. Marcus, what are some of the things you've seen when you've been out in the field so, uh, related to boating safety? So I've been working for 23 years now. Now, I haven't been actively patrolling all those 23 years, but for most of my career, I was on the water in the summertime. And two things, just just to think off the top of my head, one is I was on Green River, and there was a canoe coming down the river, and it had a long shaft running it like a trolling motor. And it was making a real high-pitched sound like a two-stroke. And I'm like, what was this guy doing? What's he using? So I... Still went over to him, stopped him. I said, uh, "I said, what? What kind of motor you got?" And I started looking at it. He had converted a weed eater into <laughs> a motor. <laughs> he had put a prop on, on the end of his weed eater. And I like, I like, I love it. I said, "That's awesome ingenuity." I said, "But you do not have registration." And he's like, "What do you mean registration?" I was like, "You're running your boat's mechanically powered. You're running it by mechanics." I said, "It's got to be registered by law." So he got a look on his face. I'm like, look, it's fine. I'm going to issue a citation. Just go get it registered. The courts will work with you or whatever. But it was it was just neat because I had never seen somebody convert a weed eater, long shaft weed eater, into a motor. I mean, he was hammered down. You know what that reminds me of? Did you, did you ever see that? It was one of the Ace Ventures, I can't remember, when he's in the little inflatable boat on the water. And he takes one of those little fans, like a, one of those tiny little toy fans, and he puts, <laughs> he sticks it down in the water behind him, and he like runs up on plane like he's flying down the. Flying God, I haven't seen that one in so long. And the only other one that comes to the top of my mind super easy was just like we was talking about Poker Run on the Ohio River. They had a ski fest once a year in the summer, which was just a big blowout. Sounds horrible. Sounds and like it, a horrible idea. Well, I mean, mm. we nicknamed it Beer Fest and Fist Fights. I mean, that's just because that's what it ended up ski being. Ski fest on the Ohio River? Yeah. Like I know. Jump, jump in uh, driftwood? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. Like in barrels. And <laughs> so, so we're heading up to the area where everybody get on the beach and everybody's at, wrapped up. And I'll lie to you not. Here comes a pontoon, wide open. And it's got a diving board off the front of it. And a gentleman is on front of the diving board doing the Titanic pose with his arms out, oh, wide open. Too. Yeah. So needless to say, we had to stop and talk to him. But I was like, what are, what are you doing, man? He goes, isn't it awesome? I'm like, no, you're going to die. Yeah, you fall off the front of that. There's a, there's you, a prop you're, coming you're for your chum. head. I mean, you're going, you're going, but I mean, so that one just. Those did two, he go to jail or did, you, did they get it? He got a ticket. 
I don't think we took him to jail. I don't. I can't remember. It's been so many years ago, but I just. I mean, it just stuck out in my mind that hey, this is. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, and I was even. We were even. I remember when we were stopping him. We were even afraid because you know usually you hit the blue lights to somebody. It's like a knee jerk reaction, and they just shut off everything and just stop. And if they did that, <laughs> he's going flying. Yeah. No, so. that's a that's bad news. A lot yeah. of you know what it amazes me how many people don't understand that if you go off the front of a moving boat, there's a boat a prop coming for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, I can roll that right back in the life jacket safety. I mean, your life jacket's your first line of safety, and you all know because you've been in a boat. If a boat hits something, it does one or two things. It either goes to the right or left, or it completely stops. Well, if mm-hmm. you're when you're not got a seatbelt, you keep on traveling whichever direction the boat was going with or without your boat. Yeah. yeah. So, no doubt. So, I mean, the life jacket will also protect your, you know, your heart and your lungs if you, because you're going to go in there until you hit something. Mm. That's true. I so. wouldn't let you punch me in the chest right now, but if I had my life jacket on, I, I probably would. No. You yeah. know, you say that I did a, I did a kids' events once, and I make them put on their life jacket. And I sent you down. I said, look, this does also other things besides help you float, and I usually smack him in the chest. Yeah. And I did this kid, and he started crying. Oh, nice. <laughs> yes, because uh, I laughed. One of the other officers with me was brand new, and he said, man, I cannot believe you made that kid cry. <laughs> and he was bawling. <laughs> he was bawling. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, I never had that happen before. Oh. His parents were in the crowd, and I was like, I apologize. Are you okay? But, you know. Oh, the kid's got tough. Right? So now when I do that, I tell him, I'm like, I'm getting ready to hit you in the chest, okay? <laughs> Not hard. Just <laughs> Not to make it. Yeah. I think it scared him more than it did hurt him. Oh yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> That's still just kind of ridiculous. So when you were when you were patrolling the water in the summer, which bodies of water? Green, Ohio, obviously. The Green River, Ohio River, uh, Lake Malone. Um, I was kind of in that part of Western Kentucky, in between oh, Kentucky hmm. and Barkley. So and, that part of the Ohio River. Yes, I run the Ohio River from Owensboro all the way to Henderson. Okay, that's so. pretty cool. Because in my mind, I'm thinking Louisville because that's part of the Ohio River I'm right. just familiar with. And, yeah. A lot of people, you know, between that Cox's Creek and mm-hmm. and a Seneca type area, New Albany type area, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Yeah, that's why when you ask about the falls, I'm not very familiar with it because yeah. most of my career was all in Western Kentucky. And to access the area I'm talking about, you got to go to Indiana too. Yep. So it's even that much mm-hmm. tougher. The conservation officer who's in Jefferson County now, Travis Abrams, he's primarily the conservation officer in that county, right? Yes. You know him pretty well. I know him briefly. I mean, he doesn't know me personally, but. Yeah, uh, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's. I've, I've ran into him. He goes to the gym that I go to. I guess we live somewhere near each other. Yeah. And he goes down there and fishes the falls, and I see him out there the white bass run and stuff like that. So I like that he's getting out. I plan on going down there to fish with him sometime soon. And that'd be great. You know, I wish that there was a little bit more enforcement of the falls, but it doesn't necessarily fall on us because it's the other side of the river. It's mm-hmm. Both both sides. Yeah, yeah. but you got to be on the Indiana side to access the walk-in portion. Yeah. And. Uh, you know, it's a it's a potentially dangerous place, but I haven't seen as much recently as I thought I would. The last, well, I mean, we had a drowning there last year, um, in December of last year. That was a kayak drowning, and that I remember know, that that, that was wasn't sad. necessarily the falls. Anything that happened in the falls that caused that. Um, but the year before that, I remember a drowning, somebody fishing on foot, and yeah. man, it's just you know enforcement down there. W- enforcement is made to prevent bad things from happening. It's one to protect the resources, you know, and to keep our populations of, of fish and, and wildlife healthy to make sure people aren't over harvesting or harvesting in, in bad ways. But it's also for the safety of the users of, mm-hmm. the, of the resources. And that's probably your primary goal when you're yep. out on the water, right? Yeah. Our whole job is literally compliance. 
Yeah. It's just so everybody's obeying the rules and regulations for their safety. And so when they have kids and grandkids, they got something to go hunt and fish and look at mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, later. Yeah, it's not, I, I feel like, in your mind, what would a perfect day on the job be? Just everybody's compliant, right? No tickets or something like that? Everybody's different. Yeah. I mean, really, you know, you talk to people that aren't in law enforcement, and they're like, oh, I bet that's cool. Giving people tickets yeah. is not very pleasant. I yeah. mean, you know, it's – and you try to get people to understand why you're doing it. Like, yeah. I mean, I was proud of myself, and a lot of officers in our state are. Nine times out of ten, they'll shake our hands mm-hmm. and say, thank you, sorry I messed up, you know, mm-hmm. appreciate what you do. And that that always made me feel good. Now, there's the 1% that you deal with that there's no help for that for. But, but you know, we try not to make it a painful process, and we try to make people understand the reason behind what we're doing. Uh, life jackets, uh, you know, kids under the age of 12 in Kentucky, if the boat's moving, they got to have a life jacket on. on. Yeah. That's a hard sell when you give a grandpa or a grandmother a citation for their grandkid not having on. I'm like, look, I would rather do this for you than have to fill out a drowning report for your mm-hmm. grandchild. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I just you can be mad at me all day long, but this is a safety thing we're trying to yeah, it seems like with safety, that would be one, you know, that would be pretty easy to hammer home to people, but people are still overconfident, don't think anything's going to happen to them, so I can see them. But speaking of, of trying to make things easy on people, I actually got checked uh, two weeks ago in Henry County, and I, I didn't recognize the conservation officer. I don't know if he recognized me or anything like that, but I was fishing with my girlfriend, and we were creek fishing Henry County, and we were just over there. I caught a drum. And I swear, conservation officers can be so sneaky sometimes. Because <laughs> I don't know how long he's standing there, but he waited till I caught a fish. He said, how you doing? Oh, I looked up. Oh, my gosh. And uh, he was across the creek from us. And he said, what do you got there? And I said, oh, just a drum. And I turned it loose. And he said, yeah, got your fishing license on you? And I said, yeah, here. I pulled up. And we were on the other side of a creek, obviously. And I was getting ready to walk across the creek and show him mine and her license. And he's like, oh, no, don't worry about it. Just give me your social. I, I'll, I'll check you from here. And hollered my social at him. And. Are you Tyler uh, Winnegar? Uh, yeah, I said, yeah. He said, what's your birthday? And I gave it to him. He's like, all right, you're good. And, yeah. and same with Kristen. And he's good luck. And, and he just headed on out. So it's just like he was probably saw our cars stopped and just checked to make sure we had our license. And he didn't make me cross the creek and show him a paper copy. He made it easy on both of us. And it was pretty pleasant. Yeah. And I feel like if you're obeying, you know, the mm-hmm. rules and regs and, and doing what you're supposed to, that's how it typically goes. Yes, that's um, exactly right. Uh, the Rigsby in Shelby County, he he he'll check me every time he sees me which he should and yeah. he's told me that before he checked me creek fishing one time and, and he said let me see your license and i said Rigsby, you know i got my license <laughs> he said i don't care if you're the commissioner i'm gonna check you <laughs> and then and so he checked me and then a week later i saw him again he said let me see your license you <laughs> checked me last week man and uh, i don't care i need to see that license so be consistent oh yeah yeah, yeah you gotta be and i, I like that yeah, I, me per- too. I personally really like that I like when I get checked. Yeah, because it lets me know that, you know, things are being done. People are out there working. People are going to have their license. People are going to be safe. And if you're a a sportsman who cares about the resources, you should want people Mm -hmm. to be purchasing their license. You should want them to be being checked and all those things. Like the law enforcement division, you know, is an enforcement division of Fish and Wildlife to make everything run, you know, because if we could have all the rules and regs as far as deer hunting we wanted, if they weren't being enforced, then what's what's the point in them, Mm -hmm. you know? And same thing with with boater safety or fishing or anything else. If there wasn't law enforcement out there enforcing those regs, people could be down there below uh, Green River uh, tailwaters where we were last night with cast nets catching muskie and mm-hmm. keeping five of them and heading to the house. You know, I mean, I mean that and that's is that is the goal. Is like 
so 25 years from now people can enjoy what we're enjoying now mm-hmm. yeah um, because it wouldn't be there if we didn't no it makes perfect sense you can look back to before we did all this and you can look back to um 1950 or so and you can look at what mm-hmm. fish and wildlife looked like in the state then and that was due to no enforcement um for all those years over harvest you know year-round harvest a game and then all of a sudden we depleted deer we depleted turkey we had no elk it, there were no black bears oh it was i did a story on the the anniversary of our magazine and reading those old ones from the 40s and 50s like what they did on green river and barren with fish weirs and fish traps and dams and dynamite oh, they would blow up they'd just take dynamite boom every fish that came to the top they'd throw in a bag and leave yeah it's well, nuts well that's the thing everybody knows that we well not everybody knows a lot of people don't but we didn't have there were 2,000 deer in the state 1,000 turkeys zero elk and zero black bears 50 year 50 years ago right mm-hmm. and everybody knows about the restoration efforts and you know we reintroduced uh elk you know and we did a lot of of with deer we did a lot with turkey but nobody thinks about the fact that the reason we didn't have those species at that point in time was because there wasn't enforcement before that and people were just doing whatever they wanted. So it's not just the restoration that allows us to have those species to hunt and fish for now. It's also the enforcement mm-hmm. of the rules and regs that keeps those things moving forward. So it's just like you said, you know, in 25 years, if we didn't have that enforcement, things could go just the same way they did 100 years ago when we depleted all the all the natural resources. If you want to clean out a small lake, just pull up in a fish and wildlife vehicle. I pulled it. We, we were doing a photo shoot on Spurlington Lake one time, and there were like three people fishing. Within 10 minutes of our arrival, there was no one fishing but us. <laughs> no. that's, what you, that's what you say. When you pull. Well, I got to go. Dude. You know, they're yeah. waving at us as they put their boat on. When you, when people, like, I'm not law enforcement. I couldn't write you a ticket even if I wanted to. Yeah. That's why it's, it's a clue. When you pull up and people start meandering off, that's like, I probably need to go talk to them. No, no, no. doubt. We, we drove the fish and wildlife <laughs> truck last night at Green River and we parked in the parking lot and we were just driving one of the old gray or the brown Fords with the but everybody thinks no matter what fish and wildlife truck you're in that you're long that you're law enforcement. it doesn't matter what you're driving it, it doesn't need to have the the badge on the side or say law enforcement or say police or have blue lights if you're in a fish and wildlife vehicle you're law enforcement and so we were out there fishing and it was like four o'clock in the morning and this guy starts walking down the bank and he says y'all boys better be careful I saw a game warden truck up there <laughs> So well, that's actually our truck. <laughs> drove that. And he said, "Oh, are y'all, are y'all filming something?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Is it for Kentucky Field?" And and then he told me because we were knee deep in the water. He said that sign up there said there was no waiting, so y'all might want to not televise that. And he was basically accusing us of breaking the law. He didn't continue reading the sentence on the sign where it says no waiting in the concrete wall section, which you know is basically the box of the dam, mm-hmm. which is completely different rules and regs on. Uh, how you can fish in that area. Those actually just recently got updated. Mm-hmm. So we weren't violating any rules or regs or anything. Very clearly posted. He just didn't read the full sentence. But he thought we were law enforcement. And then after he found out we weren't law enforcement, he thought we were going to get in trouble. Because, <laughs> I mean, just on everybody's mind. But well, one year we ran a picture of 10 Sauger, like these guys are holding in the saw guy. Now, the, and I think we've cleaned this up. But the, at the time, on the Ohio River, you could keep 10. Now, statewide six. So we get some nasty. You idiots don't even know your own regs. You put it on the cover of the rig book, my God. I was like, well, that's was the Ohio River, so you can keep 10. Oh, ha- never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's how it was for me when I was working. So we could go up Green River, 
complete different set of, set of rules and go on the Ohio River. I mean, it's even confusing for me. So, I mean, it's... It didn't didn't we change that reg back to make it more... To well, make it To six. make it user-friendly. That's yeah. one of the better things that... Or not better. We've done a lot of good things recently, but that's one thing that I think we're doing right now that makes a lot of sense is reg simplification. Mm-hmm. And the, you can look at the sauger, sauger walleye for that. Uh, you know, those are really hard fish to tell apart. Mm-hmm. Yes. So now it's... You know, you can. It's a standard length on all those species, and the the hybrid and white bass are for oh, a lot I of people. Mean, yeah, they have a hard time. Yeah, yeah, and so the the you know the regs on those have also been combined. So the fit, you know, we're simplifying things. So you don't necessarily have to be a a biologist to know what you're dealing with. You just got to kind of be able to generally tell what makes sense to a, you know normal person. What a normal person can yeah. should be expected to be able to tell apart. Yeah. So the reg simplification, I think, makes a lot of sense. I agree. But speaking of regs, there are some new ones on Green River that I actually looked up last night just to make sure I knew exactly where they applied. Right. But in that box, that concrete area of the dam below Green River, like last summer when I was fishing it, I'd go down there and there'd be people with six poles out, mm-hmm. you know, just fishing right off the handrail, six poles out, just catching fish left and right. Well, now, and I think it was a crowding issue, um, just making things more appealing <coughs> as far as fishing there goes. Now it's you can only fish with rod in hand, so you can't have rods just set all down through the on the railing. You have to be able to, it's basically one rod per person, and it's single hook only. So they did away with the treble hooks because I well, think Well, people snagging, were snagging. Yeah. Snagging, they were snagging the fire out of them down there. Yeah, so there are some new regs, and those are probably posted there in that parking lot area on the sign, I mm-hmm. would think. But that's something uh, something to make mention of. And the other thing that I wanted to mention about Green River is we just built engineering, just built a nice new fishing pier. Yeah, it's beautiful. Green River State Park. I haven't seen it myself, but I've seen pictures. Have you seen it? Not, well, I wrote about it and saw the pictures, and, and the habitat beside it is going to be fantastic. That's the thing, though. Apparently it's a safety issue because that pier is beautiful. It sits, you know, it goes out over the water, and it gives you a nice space to fish off of. And it probably sits, you know, it has handrails, but the base of the pier probably sits two, two and a half feet off the water. Mm-hmm. And then the handrails probably take you up to six, six and a half feet off the water. Apparently people think it's a good idea to jump in off that, even though it says no swimming, no diving and mm-hmm. all that stuff. People think it's a good idea to jump off that pier into the lake. And it's not a good idea at all because our fisheries and engineering division also put beautiful fish habitat. All around They consist yeah. of rocks and boards. <laughs> and and boards, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pike poles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sticking up at all different angles and directions for fish because that's what the fish need. And they're trying to make the fishing good off this fishing pier. So don't jump off that pier because you, you might know, impale yourself. Yeah, it, the water's only, the, the habitat is literally eight feet from the surface of the water. That's a normal pool in the summer. That's how deep it is. So the habitat is eight feet to the bottom. So you're talking about if you. You know, me, I am six foot six, taller than most people. But if I jumped in right there, you bet I would be hitting that habitat oh. with my feet, and that wouldn't feel good at all. No, so I would suggest not jumping off of that dock or, or that pier or any other fishing pier because we're trying to do a good job with fish habitat in that area, and fish habitat is not always conducive to diving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why you keep that for a swimming pool because you yeah. can see what's down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, do you guys have anything else you want to hit on, Lee? Any notes? Um, Did I miss anything? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, but I just wanted to give a shout out to the guys at the hatchery. Till you really see it from beginning to end, what their day is like. Did you go you to know, Pfeiffer? They, yeah, they work hard, and um, 
it, it, it's a lot of figuring and calculating for the average weight and size and how much you can put in each tank. And there's a lot of thought that goes into it before it goes out. And those guys, sometimes a couple of them are headed to, to a kingdom come state park, which is almost in Virginia. Yeah. So, um, those guys work hard and, and, you know, they don't, they're the unsung heroes people. If they don't do their job, they hear complaining, but if they do hear the job, they hear nothing. So they go from Paducah to Pikeville. Right? Yeah. So, you know, those guys are out there working hard and it's a, uh, it's, it's a muddy hard job and, uh, they do a great job at it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of people in fish and wildlife that do great things that aren't ever seen that, that people don't know about. I can't brag. I'll do my, my, uh, kudos will go to engineering staff our engineering staff nick ray and them are top of the line mm-hmm. i mean everything they do is wonderful and kevin rex wrote nick ray I'm yes yeah, kevin, i yeah. speak more highly of michael of that crew. Yeah, all of them yeah i, I will say kevin um I called him about a raccoon problem in this building a few weeks ago, and we still have a raccoon up there. Though. So Kevin <laughs> needs to get on that. But, no, I'm just joking with him. They've, they've been busy doing projects all over the state for the public, you know, to benefit. Like I, like I said, that, that pier at Green River was one. I just finished up a nice boat ramp uh, working on the life jacket loaner stations. Uh, I mean, we got a new WMA down in western Kentucky. I've been to it. Yep. Yeah, what was it called again? Uh, Harris Dickerson. And they're working on roads and access points to that mm-hmm. WMA. Yeah, so. I mean it was fresh gravel. They were just they were working on the parking lot at at uh, Hopkins County. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean right to, on the Hopkins. That's where I used to work. Hmm. The uh, yeah, engineering is definitely one of the unsung heroes of fish and wildlife. Kind of behind the scenes, you know. You appreciate mm-hmm. the boat ramps when you're using them, but you don't think about the work it took no to, to build them and things like. There's a lot though. I mean the info center. Oh, I could go. Th- I could go through and name a lot of people. At, I won't include the TV show. I think we get our props. I think I think conservation yeah. officers get that because it's public. You're in the public eye. Yeah. And same thing with the magazine, mm-hmm. public eye. But there's a lot of people here who kind of work a little bit more behind the scenes but are some of the more important people too. No doubt. And we have the new staff spotlight that's going on on the department's Facebook page. It's kind of intended to highlight some of those less, Unsung heroes. Yeah, yeah, unsung, you know, just not in the public. Not like necessarily the public doesn't necessarily see the material. Like, you know, when you – write an article that says written by lee mcclellan mm-hmm. at the end and then, well then people start laughing going that idiot's still employed yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. he's still on the payroll <laughs> he must know somebody <laughs> <laughs> but you know the engineering folks don't get to carve their name into the boat ramp at the bottom you know so no doubt for sure no doubt no, that, that's a good point yeah i don't really have anything to, oh gosh i just about dropped that well man going on as much sleep as you had i can't believe <laughs> you're not dead still, still feel great Composed i would be like this <laughs> I that's will, all you'd hear. I will be later. I'm going to turn this podcast around, grab a bite to eat, and head home and probably do just that. So I appreciate you guys coming on. Marcus, appreciate it. Thanks for having me, and I just want to tell everybody to stay safe on the water. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sure. Let's get out and do some fishing sometime. I'm going to as much as I can. I'm always up for In that. the next week. See you guys. <laughs>